Greetings, art and labor listeners. Lucia here with a presentation from the revolutionary art course I've been facilitating through Constructing the Real, the school for Dediverse anarchists. On this recording, you'll hear me discuss the Earthrise photo and how it was used to greenwash the Vietnam War, followed by a discussion on ways the ecological movement has been intrinsically tied to neoliberalism from the start. If you like what you hear and are interested in joining us, please check out constructingthereal.com where you can find updates on our current and upcoming courses and a contact email to join our school community. Beginning Thursday, April 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern, we'll also be hosting a brand new course on art communes run by Hannah Brookman from Looky Here Art Space in Greenfield, Massachusetts. The curriculum will center around reading the book Art and Labor by Eileen Boris and watching documentaries on a new collective every week. Should be a great crash course for anyone considering ditching capitalism for that sexy utopia that is living with all your friends in a buckyball. Course enrollment is open now, so I hope to see you all around for some learning, and let's have fun. This is my presentation on the Earthrise photo. Um, and it's going to be kind of a little roundabout, um, like mostly a lot of contextual contextualization and like how the photo was created and everything. So, um, so wait for it. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. First thing we're going to talk about is this baby-stealing Nazi. Uh, Sigmund Rosser um, uh, was one of the people who uh, was working for um, Germany um, on this, uh, this, this subject called uh, space medicine. <laughs> and uh, without these experiments a lot of people say that people wouldn't be able to go to space at all um so uh these this is like one of the people that uh kind of gets exonerated or whatever uh like he's horrible he's terrible he used um prisoners from Dachau and he put them in pools and he like boiled them and he uh he would um do these experiments on blood coagulation to uh, to to like see how blood could function at different pressures and ended up like injecting people with applesauce and stuff. I mean, he was psycho and he anyway, and then he um, got in trouble for stealing babies and he was uh, he, he was tried and, and he was executed. Um, but then this guy uh was not uh punished he was turned into a hero over here in america um so a lot of the stuff that rosser uh was experimenting with hubertus Strughold uh ended up learning from he would go to talks um from Rosser at uh, these nuremberg conferences and then um he sort of adapted all of these uh, ideas um, for uh, what would end up becoming NASA, um, and he, uh, yeah, he had a he had 
you know, he's the father of space medicine, um, but he also had this um, award named after him. And every year NASA would uh, kind of, you know, give somebody the Strughold award and uh, yeah, they just loved him until uh, his history caught up uh, with him, I guess it's kind of around like 2012 that he was made out to be um, a, the criminal that he was. Um, and, you know, but he's the person like uh, how we know about having an internal body clock. <laughs> uh, just, you know, all these normal everyday things you think about flying come from really odd places. Um, but this is the guy that everybody associates with NASA. Uh, Werner von Braun uh, was the golden child of Project Paperclip. Um, he came over to America with like a hundred people, totally stuffed NASA with all of his buddies. Um, he uh, he couldn't do anything wrong. He, he, he was very photogenic. He, he was in all of these movies about space. They gave him all the materials he needed. They gave him all the workers he needed. And um, he just went completely ham, just building anything and everything he could think of. Um, so yeah, this, there's sort of this joke, like um, that he just never cared uh, about anything that he was like implicated in uh, during World War II. Um, but yeah, he uh, famously made the V2 rocket, which is like this um, like multi-section uh, kind of propulsion mechanism that uh, ended up being used uh, later for NASA, but in this um, initial stage, uh, he used a lot of prison labor um, from the Middle Dora camp uh, to uh, make these rockets. And it was famous that uh, more people, you know, died building the rocket than were ever killed by it, um, partly because a lot of the tests would just explode. And there's lots of funny videos you can see um, of these things just keeling over. Um, but also um, partly because he would get these people to work on his program. Um, and like he uh, would just work them to death. And they were engineers, like they were intelligent people that the world could have used, <laughs> but um, he just sort of didn't really have any care for anything except for the rocket. So it was just like either manual laborers or intellectual laborers, didn't matter. Everybody was just getting used and thrown away. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of French resistance fighters uh, who were in the camps that survived that later um, tried to make a case against him. Um, the three names that are that keep coming up is uh, Guy Morand, Robert Casabon, and Adam Kabbalah. 
Um, and they were all uh, former inmates um, from either Dora or Buchenwald. And uh, yeah, they, um, yeah, they finally got him actually to admit <laughs> that people were being mistreated uh, when they said that they had uh, witness accounts of him like just walking through fields of dead bodies to get to the place where these rockets were made. Anyway, now his his here's his um, grand entrance on the American stage. Um, he comes over from Project Paperclip. He makes friends with everybody immediately because he builds all these cool little toys. Um, and he's got lots of neat ideas and um, he partners with Disney um, who is incredibly attracted to his uh, work. <laughs> um, and he, Walt Disney goes to court him in Huntsville, Alabama, where he's like, you know, um, Von Braun is working on his rockets and everything. And Disney's like, oh my God, come work for me. I want you to do movies and we'll animate everything for you. We'll make it look great. You just like talk about your stuff. So he makes this video, Man in the Moon. And uh, that uh, it is made in 1955. Um, and you can see kind of like uh, the, two the two stills of uh, Von Braun sort of like gesturing towards these rockets, he would talk about how um, the space program would be developed. And um, yeah. Uh, Lucia, I don't think your slides are, uh, we're still on the first one. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nuts. Uh... I also lost share screen. All right, we had a little technical difficulty um, recording again. So yeah, uh, just catching up. This is Werner von Braun, and um, yeah, he uh, he he's great friends with Disney. Um, he's also great friends with Heinrich Himmler. <laughs> um, here is the V two rocket. Uh, yeah famous uh tragedy and then here is uh when von braun comes over to america these are some stills from the uh film that he makes with disney um and man in the moon was uh it was kind of like whimsical but it was sort of this uh like exact way that um people could foresee uh, going to the moon. Um, and so that in 1955, they made uh, man in the moon. And then uh, NASA was established in 1958. Um, and so then the, the, uh, the V2 ended up becoming the Saturn V. Um, and this is the uh, heavy lift launch vehicle that um, ended up being utilized for most of the um like apollo missions and uh launched uh skylab which was the first american space station all just based off the v2 um but then i wanted to uh also just show um some of the other technology 
that was used um, to make Earthrise, which was uh, the Hasselblad uh, company, uh, which is a Swedish company, was made in uh, World War II when uh, there was um, like a aerial battle, I guess, and the uh, the Swedish uh, military, uh, sorry, uh, the Swedish military captured a German aerial surveillance camera um, and then handed it over uh, to this guy, Victor Hasselblad, <laughs> and was like, we'll give you a workshop, just figure out how to make this thing for us. And, um, you know, it's the best, we want to use it. <laughs> so that ended up getting changed around a little bit and turned into the electric camera that NASA used um, to take the photos of uh, of the Earth. <laughs> and let's see here. Oh, yeah. Okay. So here is the crew of Apollo 8, um, comprised of Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders. Now, all of these people are military personnel. Um, Frank Borman skipped the Korean War due to a perforated eardrum, um, but then he ended up based in um, at Clark Air Base in the Philippines, uh, which was a logistical support uh, during the Vietnam War um, until 17, I mean, 1975. Uh, and um, yeah, it was kind of it, uh, the subject of a lot of battles like uh, the New People's Army of the Philippines would go and attack the base uh, like up and through the nineties. Like, so, you know, he's not the most beloved person, even though he sounds really nice in space. <laughs> uh, and then James level, um, he flew um, Banshee night fighters for the Navy uh, and William Anders. Um, he would uh, intercept Soviet heavy bombers who at the time were challenging America's air defense borders. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, so they went up uh, into, into space on um, Apollo 8. And uh, you can see this sort of infinity symbol uh, orbit pattern. Um, this is the pattern that uh, Von Braun uh, illustrated. Um, and then, uh, yeah, this was the pod that they they were living inside of and that they uh, touched down in. And um, this is the photo um, that, you know, we're used to seeing Earthrise photo with a horizontal uh, uh, horizon line, but it actually uh, was initially taken vertically, um, but there was a lot of sort of um, like little, little perfections that had to be made. Uh, to to have it become this like public icon that um, that we know it of t as today. Uh, so, oh yeah, okay. Here's some more shots. Um, they had an RCA TV camera as well, and um, RCA was a uh, like a affiliated with General Electric, which was also a, a kind of a company that was working with the Navy a lot. Um, they uh, wanted to control post-war media um, and uh, the Navy 
like explicitly wanted complete control over every broadcast, but the compromise was to make uh, RCA. <laughs> Um, so obviously it, that is the company that ends up getting to shoot um, and connect with this momentous occasion of um, Americans going to the moon and doing a Christmas Eve show, uh, which comprised of the astronauts reading from the book of Genesis, uh, and, which was a problem <laughs> because uh, we are not all Christian. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's the way hegemony goes. Uh, and after their reading, um, and their kind of charming banter, you know, they have Apollo 8 home movies and they have all of these little cool photos of the moon and stuff. Um, Madeline Murray O'Hare, which is the founder of the American Atheists, uh, sued the uh, government because of the because uh, of the religious overtones of their space conquest, um, it was turned down. Anyway, and now here's the obligatory slide saying uh, the Russians did it first. <laughs> so um, yeah, the Molnia uh, satellite, um, which is like sort of that starburst shape, uh, took a photo of the Earth a couple of years before the Americans did, but everyone decided that that didn't really matter because um, it wasn't a human being like clicking the thing. And I, I don't know, it's just, I mean, I guess it also is a little lower resolution. So a lot of this has to do not with firsts, but with the amount of production value that goes into it. Like how Disney is, you know, uh, whitewashing all of these, paperclip Nazis and how RCA is putting all this money that is funneled from the military into making this Christmas show. And, you know, it is very much about hearts and minds and um, making sure that uh, we look better than communists. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. And then this is the Luna probe is the first thing to land on the moon. Um, and meanwhile, <laughs> uh, back on earth, uh, Vietnam has just been going on. It has just been going on. Everybody is, is uh, you know, all these, you know, there's student protests. Uh, everyone is debating what this war is for. Um, there's, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's tragic and it's meaningless and it's an incredibly unpopular war um, that goes on for like uh, two decades or something crazy. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, so there are, there are a lot of politicians that have their eyes on these protests and they're looking at them. We're trying to figure out what the deal is, you know, um, how do we control this situation? Do we, do we open fire on the students? Um, do we, uh, throw some, uh, police violence into the streets? Like, uh, what, what should we do? Uh, and then, uh, somebody came up with the solution. Uh, let's make a holiday. <laughs> uh, the, uh, this holiday, Earth Day, um, came out of uh, Wisconsin Senator Gaylord Nelson um, looking at the Earthrise photo um, and uh, responding also to this book by uh, Rachel Carson uh, called Silent Spring, um, 
which was about how uh, pesticides were polluting people. And uh, she did a lot of um, verifiable research uh, that was really scandalous. Um, So, yeah, you know, Gaylord Nelson is looking at the Earthrise photo and at all of this ecological um, issues and and um, at this time, there's a lot of messaging going on that's like, we're seeing the planet for the very first time. We've never been able to see the whole earth. And like, we need to unite as an earth and we need to stop being political and politics is destroying us. And how can we save the environment? Which in its way that worked um, to bring attention to uh, climate change, which, you know, didn't even have a name then, but it also did it at the expense of so much else. Um, So here's some of the key like architect figures of Earth Day. Uh, Yeah, uh, Senator Gaylord Nelson here sitting by a river, pondering his existence in the universe, knowing he's just like one man on the blue marble. Um, And then this is Dennis Hayes. Uh, He was a student um, at Harvard, I think, when he heard um, Senator Nelson um, giving a talk um, and it became sort of a big New York Times piece. And Dennis Hayes was like, all right, I'll quit school and then I will make this horizontal um, organization effort to start um, making Earth Day a thing. Uh, And they got Julian Koenig to coin the title Earth Day for the holiday. And um, he's famous for making the Volkswagen advertisements, which is whitewashing Volkswagen. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we did a lot of just making all of this stuff cute. Uh, And then to, you know, top it off, we uh, we see Walt Kelly, who was popular at the time, um, using his Pogo comic to um, bring awareness to the fact that people are disrupting the environment. Uh, now, all of this was sort of like the back end, like, okay, we've got this concept, we've got this idea, but um, we don't really know how to get it to become a popular action because uh, Senator Nelson was convinced that environmental teach-ins would be important. And this was in direct response to the teach-ins that were going on for Vietnam. And he was like, no, there's too many students who are like paying attention to anti-war stuff and not enough who are just kind of like depoliticized and looking at trees. So let, let me do something about that. Um, and so Senator Nelson, um, he tries his environmental teaching thing for a while. And then, um, and then Dennis Hayes is basically like, uh, he's, he's kind of like collecting information and he's polling students and all of the students, um, like the college students who are running the, um, anti-war effort pretty much unanimously agree that this 
uh, environmental Earth Day thing was a huge, huge distraction. Um, and they really didn't want to listen to these advertisers. Um, they, they were pretty single issue. Um, and it doesn't say anything, but I have a feeling that they probably thought that anti-war initiatives were actually environmentalist issues and they were already doing their part, but, um, they just weren't doing it in the way that, uh, the government wanted them to. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, at one point, like uh, Hayes just ha had made this entire um, like organization of regional coordinators and um, they started making a huge uh, like school program. So, um, and they were, they were paying people up to $375 a month. Um, you got five. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Let's see. What else is there? Okay. Um, yeah, they were, they were really pushing. They were trying to distract people with the environment. <laughs> and then we get here, um, which is like, all this is all happening um, now during Nixon's term. And he's cited as the most green president. Um, he's sort of is like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to beat um, this guy, Edmund Muskie, who actually is speaking all the time at these Earth Day rallies. Um, <laughs> and yeah, because I'm going to actually make the Environmental Protection Agency and that way I'm going to stay in office and, you know, the rest is history. Uh, we fast forward a little bit and we get to um, the Reagan era and uh, Reagan is sort of like puts the kibosh on the whole environmental movement. It was like all of this stuff that we were doing with the whole Earth Day, with the Environmental Protection Agency, with Jimmy Carter kind of trying to boost all of these movements. It's done now. And we're taking these solar panels off the um, roof of the White House. Uh, we're saying that it's just because we need to renovate. But um, then Reagan also just kind of, you know, opened everything up to fossil fuel pollutants and started trying to deregulate like all of these uh, clean air acts and stuff. Um, and so then we get to, this is my last slide. Uh, then we get to our most sort of recent history, which is uh, everybody I think is familiar with like Al Gore. Um, he uses the Earthrise photo again to um, try to remind everybody that we're on the same planet and we all have to do the same thing. Um, and that's believe in climate change and try to push back our carbon emissions. Uh, so, and then, and then we have Amanda Gorman bringing Earthrise back in, in the past few years. Um, and she says this thing sort of like, uh, I have this quote from her poem. We are demonstrating, creating, advocating. We heed this inconvenient truth because we need to be anything but lenient with the future of our youth. And while this is a training in sustaining the future of our planet, there is no rehearsal. The time is now, 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 because the reversal of harm and protection of a future so universal should be anything but controversial. So earth, pale blue dot, we will fail you not. Just as we choose to go to the moon, we know it's never too soon to choose hope. We choose to do more than cope with climate change. We choose to end it. We refuse to lose. 
and I, I don't know, I just wanted to end with that because it sort of is this um, very like abstracted idea of what we could be doing with the environment. And it all centers around this Earthrise photo of just like, you know, hey, remember that you're insignificant in the universe and that's why you have to take care of the planet. So do what the government says and um, stop paying attention to the war because you need to recycle bottles. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I guess, I guess that's it. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that was great. That, that was, was great. So informative. Beautiful. Very well done. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, homies. Well. <laughs> oh my God, the Emma Gorman connection at the end. Ugh. Right? Chills. I does. I wanted you to see that one. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, as if I wasn't already an insane like tinfoil hat. Um, brainwashed. We're being brainwashed prop by um you know, like Lin-Manuel Miranda and like now Emma Gorman and like like every single like um, State Department approved like media personality. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's crazy because all these stories are separated. You know, it's like you hear the story of Paperclip, like Project Paperclip, and you're like, wow, damn, it's too bad there are Nazis here. And then you don't and then you're like, oh, but then there was NASA and it was so nice because we went to the moon and it was so cool. And then they read from the Bible because they liked it a lot. It's not because we have a Christian ethno state. It's because we're really nice. (laughs) Yeah, I actually I wrote down the like the idea that we faked the moon landing is like this other uh, it's like another like example, I feel like, of like conspiracy theories that like they're almost correct. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like like. Um, it's not that we faked the moon landing. It's that the, the, um, the like framing around it was to like, it wasn't like to, to really further humanity. It was more to like cement this national identity and, uh, yeah. Keep people kind of in line. Like you're saying. There's, there's also the conspiracy, um, that, uh, the, Nazis got space technology from aliens that landed in Antarctica. <laughs> I haven't heard this one. Yeah, it's like an ancient aliens kind of thing, but people say that Nazis like got their technology from space, but that's why they were able to make spacecraft. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the people who are like, "Oh, the pyramids weren't were built by aliens because they don't believe that like black people can build things and make things." Yeah. <laughs> like all these like like sort of racist ones. Yeah. <laughs> if you wanna, as as uh, the Wisconsin correspondent in this discussion group, um, if you want a connection to um the jfk assassination he he went on a trip with gaylord nelson or at gaylord nelson's invitation to visit the north shore or the south shoreline of lake superior the very top of wisconsin two weeks before he was assassinated it's connected it's gotta be (laughs) oh god yeah and after um, after Bobby Kennedy's assassination, a bunch of his 
campaign managers just ended up going and working on the Earthrise campaign. Mm-hmm. Could have been. It's connected. Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny. It's like it's all connected because, like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like the ruling class is pretty small. So it's like, to me, it's like when these things are connected, it's like, oh, you're. It's just because we're learning, we're learning more about them slowly as you know as we go on and 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 continue to educate ourselves it's like yeah of course like all these things like sort of fit there are like there are only two political parties and they're all friends and like then there's all these these government agencies and they uh all attract this these, these same circles over like over and over again um because it's the same like people who get the opportunities right from inherited wealth from whatever and then from these like they all go to the same ivy league schools or whatever and like it of course it it it, it, yeah it's like yeah the ruling class is much smaller than the working class and so of course they're they're more likely to have connections to each other yeah the oh go ahead oh no no no, you well i guess it I just to draw a like to continue the through line of the military and you know like and environmentalism and Wisconsin and all those things as much as I hate as how much people talk about the 60s here in Madison in October 1967 there was the Dow uh, protests where student you know it's one of the more famous kind of student clashes right, where students were protesting Dow recruiters coming to campus because they were the creators of Agent Orange. Um, yeah. Right. And then, you know, like even to even to bring it into like a current context, uh, Madison is going is identified as the second location to get the F-35s mm. um, <laughs> after cool. what uh, Burlington, Vermont, I think. <laughs> And there's a huge, there's been a huge push here with all obviously the forever chemicals with the watershed here and them de-icing planes and all of that, Um, you know, as like a direct line of how the military interfaces with environmentalism and, you know, like, I don't know, just like with you talking about, you know, like the direct like with Gaylord Nelson and Earth Day and stuff. And it's like, well, here in this place that's really beautiful, we're still dealing with all the same shit of the military. What do you think about, um, and I know this probably isn't anything to do with the subject, but you're talking about the military and like the violence, like the the shootings, like the, you know, multiple shootings that happen at all these military bases and things like that. You know, do you think there's any connection between these programs and all that kind of stuff you know oh yeah like, well like yeah Columbine, that was Columbine yeah. was a big and there was like a, a theory about that right because a lot of the parents worked at military or something like that i forget <laughs> i forget what the connection was there but oh damn yeah it's all connected it's all connected it's all connected well, that's the that's the thesis though is that it is all connected because we're on the earth <laughs> yes right so, um, especially like the, the, the last slide uh, where you were showing the, the newest like ways the, the Earthrise was um, 
used as a way to like hashtag we are all one sort of stuff. It reminds me there's this um, really good book by a indigenous uh, activist here from Brazil, like Ailton Krenak. Ailton Krenak, I should say in a Brazilian way, not with not, not with my English accent. Um, so it's uh, ideas to postpone the end of the world. And it was written just before COVID. And it's all about like uh, dealing with climate uh, collapse the way he sees it. Uh, and it's basically, uh, it talks about this idea that all these, um, all this acceleration of the, the glo global warming is due to the idea that we are the superior species uh, like humanity is smart as fuck and we it's our responsibility to save this world because we did that and, and that's the same line of thought that brought us here because we don't respect rivers and we don't respect the fauna and all these sorts of things and it tackles it specifically like like it's not the first time that our end has been uh, prophesized it's just that we killed all the, the previous prophets uh, like a specific talking like the end is not the the world has already ended for us it's just that now it's your white european world is ending and all of a sudden you lose your shit and yeah. so yeah i think there's a really good parallel there where it keeps getting brought back in the we have to all do this together which basically means i don't have to do shit because i can just you can put the like the blame on individual people <laughs> yeah yeah it's like look we took the photo from space like that's our contribution so like everyone else has to figure it out also we need the military because how else are we going to train people to take photos in space yeah so don't <laughs> use use uh, metal uh, uh straws recycle uh <laughs> like solar panels that's all <laughs> do your part well, I think like that kind of top, I was going to mention that like the, uh, like the recycling logo was itself like something donated, the, like a guy made it in like the seventies, but like recycling as a thing was invented by soda companies and like, because they almost, uh, either in the fifties or the seventies, they almost completely banned single use packaging um and and like this was the answer provided to uh the american government was like we're gonna start this thing called recycling and yeah. like that kind of connection with art and then actually what you were saying Vinny, was really interesting about like human superiority because i think it's also like it it was so much about yeah sending human bodies into space but like the more we have human bodies in space the more we find out that like we're really not built to be able to handle living without like certain kind of air pressures and gravity and, you know, like uh, people who well, spend a lot of time in, in space, like their eyes get all fucked up. And anyway, that was it. It's yeah. I mean, that was, that was what all of those Nazi doctors figured out on prisoners. They knew it, they knew everything that was going to happen when they sent, when they could eventually send people into space because they would like send people down into different like pressurized i don't know i just think that's sick because <laughs> then it's because then the astronauts find out on their own 
in a weird way. So it's like they're culpable because they're a part of the military, but they're also kind of test guinea pigs, sort of, because when they're in space, they're like, you guys, I just realized this happens. Like my bone density changes. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> like we killed a lot of people to find that out. <laughs> and then we sent you up there. <laughs> And then there's all the propaganda about like Russia sending animals, but if, which of course is fucked up, but it's like, what is like, it's what is more fucked up? Like, I'm sorry. Like, it's hard to be a human supremacist, but. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all right because they, everyone who is a murderer is not guilty <laughs> as long as they work for the government. Yeah, I just really love this talk because it was, this is the stuff that I bought into as a child. So hard. I mean, this is my, like, I was like, oh, Neil Armstrong and wow. And like when I was, you know, four, because I'm a little older. So I was like born in the early seventies. So my parents were still like, why, you know, this was such a huge deal. And I remember, and growing up, I think the first time I encountered somebody was or a critical perspective on it was the whitey on the moon thing which is like i i read that i was like oh come on you know it's not <laughs> like uh you know and i can't remember when i encountered that uh piece of writing but you know it was it was like wait what These people were you know had that like this is a distraction from the war perspective i you know that was completely beyond what i'd I, I completely bought into the whole thing so much deeply. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it was definitely made to be offered as, you know, it, it's like if we could make an awe-inspiring image that could um, kind of like leave people in this sense of wonder, mm-hmm. then they can't be enraged about a war. They have to just then be like patient with everything because it's like, Oh, right. Like it's all a part of one. We're all doing this thing together. And, you know, I have to just figure out how to help my local community and like (laughs) filter water or something. Cause the war will end when it ends. Cause that, you know, it's not like, I think that was their, their, attempt but i mean it's never been really explicitly stated like that yeah it's such a it's such a narcissistic like you know the the getting in front of the the russian photo kind of like oh no you know we've got it it's it's something Oh, I actually wanted to read a passage um, that's it's it's from Hedra Stryl's In Defense of Poor Image, but it's her talking about imperfect cinema, which is like the best part of, of, of this essay. But it's just a little part where she says the emergence of poor images reminds one of a classic third cinema manifesto for an imperfect cinema by Juan Garcia Espinosa, written in Cuba in the late 60s. 
Espinoza argues for an imperfect cinema because in his words, a perfect cinema, technically and artistically masterful, is almost always a reactionary cinema. The imperfect cinema is one that strives to overcome divisions of labor within class society. It merges with art, life, and, and science, blurring the distinction between consumer and producer, audience and author. It insists upon its own imperfection, is popular but not consumeristic committed without becoming bureaucratic i like cool. that mm-hmm. damn the marvel fans would hate that essay yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was thinking like it's like it is like a big marvel type production <laughs> yeah <laughs> get this yeah this earth shot yeah you said that they even like rotate it or like they aligned the picture right with the horizon Mm-hmm. Right, like even that in terms of like we need to straighten things out. We need to, you know, like the crispness of that. Yeah, yeah, and just like all of the lead up to it, as like bef- you know, as like Saturn Five was being developed, and Walt Disney, like, is is just taking the wheel and deciding, like, I'm going to make this fun, friendly family movie that so kids can just think that this is awesome and that their friend is Werner von Braun. <laughs> now there's something with enclosed spaces like uh I know Disney wanted to make this thing that was a completely enclosed city and then now Jeff Bezos wants to make spaceships that are the completely enclosed like greenhouse in space thing that if a little Pellet goes through the window, <laughs> implode or something. But that that architectural motif keeps coming up. But the space, it's force. Uh, there's... Have you seen the movie? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no, you go. Um, have you seen the movie? There's a um, about uh, four boys that were, I think, in West Virginia, and they. Uh, were learning how to build rockets. They were inspired by Werner's guy. Yes. And he would write, he wrote fan mail to Werner von Braun and was obsessed with Werner von Braun, this kid. And he became, it's a real story. And the guy eventually designed rockets for NASA, you know, but um, if you haven't seen it, that movie. I used to love that movie as a child. Because like, no, because they show like, they they you totally they, ruined it for me, Lucci. <laughs> no, I can't yeah, watch that, that movie anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I feel the same way. But that movie, there is such a sense of play because mm-hmm. it's literally the we're going to build rockets in our backyard. Yes, the rocket it, hits the ground, it explodes, it shoots yep. towards them, and then the dad's the a fucking coal miner, and he's just like, "What are you doing?" Like. Yep. You're dreaming about you're dreaming about space. I'm underground. That's right. (laughs) Killing himself with black lung, you know what I mean? In the meantime. (laughs) But uh yeah, no, that was very you know, now you know, now that I have this uh yeah, I look at it differently. So thank you. It's good. Cool. Do you end up looking at the um whole earth catalog? Oh yeah, the whole Earth catalog. Um, it's actually 
a photo from 1972, which is there's a whole series of different photos of Earth. And that one uh, is a a far less controversial photo of Earth. (laughs) As far as I saw while I was like poking around, but um, yeah. I was really into flat earth for a while. And one of their big things is how like there aren't actually like, it's much rarer to have a photo of the entire earth. And so, and a lot of images that just from space that are used are like uh, composites or like directly just like artist renditions. And so that was always their whole thing that like (laughs) this person is saying they Photoshopped the earth together. And like they saw the original photo and it was flat. <laughs> that doesn't do anything for the conversation, which but you know, it's like it's good shit. Uh, I mean there was a lot of flat earth people while I was like looking through comments on things and they're like, you know, it's this is an impossible photograph to take because everybody knows the moon is also flat. So for people to go around the moon, mm. like uh, you wouldn't see a horizon, you would just see like a flat line, and this is like clearly bullshit. There's <laughs> um, just supposed to be flat lines floating in space. Is that what flat Earth really thinks? That yeah. it's just kind of a pancake and then there's well, so there's pancake. there's competing theories which is also i mean you mentioned antarctica there's a whole thing about like antarctica is the actual outer circle of earth in a flat earth and uh and so the ones that i've my own hole that i fell down into was that like basically planets are like um like if you use a, a cookie cutter on a piece of dough and you cut out circles. And so there's just this endless sea of Antarctic ice and planets in there. Uh, it's, yeah. Pretty cool. I mean, but the like, I, I, I think like using or like, yeah, art as a nationalist project is always wild. And they're yeah. all, supremacists at the end of the day all those yeah there was um oh there was one thing that i wanted to uh add in about the there was there was a change that sort of there was like a policy change that happened because of the uh earthrise photo kind of i mean it was all roughly happening at the same time around the nixon administration but it was like the um there was a lot of discussion about um like Theodore Roosevelt uh who um made this like I this idea of the wilderness basically that we were running on for up until we started to notice that like corporate uh activity was really screwing things up with mass production so um but during that time when like Roosevelt was making national parks and like um, trying to figure out how, where, like making a system for where we could have uh, reservoirs and like waterways and how, um, how we could like expand across the country and a sustainable way. He was like, Oh, well we could use forests as a sustainable crop. 
like you know you could cut a tree down and the tree you just like let it grow again and it'll be fine um so there was a long period of time where the like federal response to the environment was like everything is up for consumption we just need to make sure that we uh treat it like a a cash crop and then at this point it was like uh because the pesticide book came out (laughs) it was like oh no actually we're killing people we have to change but you know we can kill people in war we just can't kill people with pesticides or vaccines kind of seconds what Vinny is saying like it's like oh now that there's like uh, now that it's affecting like the white European centric sphere um now it matters or whatever yeah oh I really hate the government huh (laughs) they're not great huh yeah it's just so much fun to find out like in what ways they're not great though call your senator (laughs) i don't need to i'm brazilian (laughs) yeah you guys got enough on your plate don't don't i just i I don't even have to turn on the tv just (laughs) comes into you like (laughs) Uh, corruption is the real disease Yeah, yeah, that actually reminds me um, how, like, environmental issues are often used, like, as um, here we have, like, now that, like, we have Bolsonaro and stuff, there's this idea that, like, you know, he's the bad dude that's letting the fucking Amazon be burned and stuff, but actually, like, it was really bad during the worker party years like there was lots of uh indigenous people being like uh taken away from their lands and then just that like there was thousands of of acres like taken over by the government to make like this huge like hydro plant that was every like every like environmental uh researcher or scientist was saying this is gonna fuck up this entire area but have to do it like uh there was i mean all of these cases right but because they are associated with like leftist ideas i mean they're more progressive than leftists but center left um it's associated with the notion that they care about the environment meanwhile the the right wing does not and that that reminds me of like al gore and here we also have like um, some parties that are all about like, oh yeah, we're the green party because we <laughs> care about environment and they're like super fucking neoliberal. And it's always used like a stepping stone basically where it only matters when the other person is fucking it up. Yeah. Otherwise, who fucking cares? Just Let's just use it. left critique of like the um the green new deal i think is pretty valid like the um meaning that like 
it's um it's kind of like a green colonialism it's like it's still it's still sort of like on the the backs of the global south like you know all this shit with like elon musk and lithium and like he was like rooting on the coup uh attempt in bolivia and stuff and um yeah and it, it and it's like because like you know the government is it's like the the government by the reason why both both parties do these coups is to enrich um american companies um so it's it's very one-to-one and if if that's going unchallenged uh even if it's for a uh a, to an environmental cause it's still imperialism you know? yeah i mean all like all the talk about cl uh, climate collapse we have uh in like white uh western circles it it never engages with the idea that we don't have like uh a way to reform this right it yeah and also it treats the way we live as unnegotiable like if you look at the and uh, and you like reports? Oh yeah, we have until 2030 to like uh, remove all carbon emissions and stuff like that. If you read the reports, they are actually betting that by that time there's going to be like carbon removal technology, which of course, if it exists, which is very unlikely, it's going to be made by Amazon or Tesla or wherever. So we're basically like betting that we will invent something to revert this because. You know, we have to have like uh, this way of living, which also is something um, I've like seen a lot by talking about these issues, especially on like video game spaces. People aren't really ready to imagine uh, a world without their comfort. Where like uh, I I wrote this piece for a Brazilian outlet about like yeah, how the fuck video games are su gonna survive the climate collapse? Because they aren't. Lots of fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun, let's have fun, lots of fun.